Well, good evening to you. We're thankful that we can be here. My name is Steve McLean, and my wife Marcia is here, and our four daughters. I'll tell you their names in a moment when you see their picture. But um, we are the McLean family, missionaries to Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom. So we are in the U.S. for six weeks. The school summer break there uh, runs for six weeks. So we are here for that time. We took the girls out of school a few days before the end of the year. We'll get back about five days before the beginning of the year. And uh, we'll be in about 14 churches uh, during our time here. So we're glad to be in northeastern Ohio. Uh, We were hoping it wouldn't be so hot, but... um, We don't get much hot weather in the UK, so we're not complaining, I guess, but um, it's good to be with you. We know that this church has uh, an evangelistic heartbeat, and we're thankful to be partnered with you. So I think I'll just jump right into uh, the presentation here um, and walk you through a little bit about where our church is and what the nature of our ministry is. So why don't I just, I'll step to the side here and we'll go through this. All right, so this is our family, and uh, my wife, Marcia, and then Margaret, who uh, you heard already was 12 years old. She's on the far left, and Gwyneth is on the far right. Amelia, Gwyneth is 10, Amelia is 7, and uh, sitting there in front of Marcia and Beatrice is 4. So there's our family. Uh, If you've collected our prayer cards, which I don't expect anyone to do that, but if you have, you'll notice that we're always sitting in front of the same place. That's our local castle, Rithlin Castle. Uh, we're in the town of Rithlin. Uh, you can see uh, the Welsh at the top, Croesaw e Rithlin, means what the English says at the bottom. And we're located in North Wales. Uh, if you come into the village from uh, one side, you'll cross the bridge over the river and see our castle. It was built in the 1200s by King Edward I, who was English. So most of the best castles in Wales are were originally built as fortresses to help the English conquer the Welsh. And um, even though Wales does have its own national identity, it's part of the UK. And uh, true Welsh nationalists have never gotten over the fact that England conquered Wales and remains ruler over Wales to this day. Um, I don't think England views it that way, but that's how the true Welsh think of it very often. So here's a map of the United Kingdom. And Wales is in red there. So it's about the size of New Jersey. That gives you some sort of reference point. There are three million people that live there. And uh, just, just for your own education, I've included these other flags here, just to give you an idea of what the UK is. It is a, a united kingdom. There are other countries uh, besides Wales. There's England, Scotland, uh, Northern Ireland, and they're all united in one kingdom. That's what the UK is. So. You've got uh, St. Andrew's Cross up in the top left, and uh, then you've got, that's Scotland's flag. You've got St. George's Cross on the bottom right, that's England's flag. You've got St. Patrick's Cross there just above the word Rithlin, that's uh, representative of Northern Ireland. And you combine those three flags and that's where you get the Union Jack. It's uh, a combination of those three flags. And of course the Welsh flag is nowhere to be found on the Union Jack. Um, I think it's because uh, it was officially adopted as the Welsh flag um, quite a bit after the Union Jack was settled upon as the the flag of the United Kingdom. That's why it was left out. But um, again, 
you can get an idea of the mentality of, of some Welsh people anyway. Uh, they wish they could be their own independent nation, although I don't think that will ever happen. Uh, during the World Cup, a man in North Wales made the news because every time England played, he flew the flag of England's opponent. So, um, you know, I don't know if that's kind of like Ohio State, Michigan or something, you know. Um, Wales, they cheer for Wales and anyone playing England, okay? So if you visit Wales, don't say, oh, it's so nice to be in England. Wales is not England. Wales is part of Britain or part of the UK, but it's not part of England. It's, it's England's on the other side of the border. All right, so just to educate you a little bit about uh, what's truly important about the UK. Um, actually, what's truly important are the spiritual conditions. And I'll, I won't take a lot of time to, to just read these to you, but this, these statistics give you some idea of the spiritual state of that place. Um, to be British in the mind of some people is to be a Christian, despite the fact that they may never attend church or not even believe in God. Um, and in Wales, uh, about 1% to 2% of the population attend a gospel church of any kind. That's, that's any sort of church um, across the spectrum, really, where you might hear the gospel in some way or another, even if not all that clearly. Um, about 1% to 2% of the people attend a church like that and probably not every week. So that's roughly uh, you know, a little bit about the spiritual condition of the United Kingdom. So we live in North Wales. Um, that's where we've made our home for nearly 10 years now. It's a beautiful place. Uh, a lot of agricultural, uh, a lot of uh, an agricultural setting across much of North Wales. Um, it's also near the sea. We live about two miles from the Irish Sea. And there we are in the, the Bay of Conway. There's another castle in Conway that was built uh, long ago. We do, we do like living there. We're not, we're not over there just counting the days until we get to visit our true home, the United States. We, we've made our home there. We, we enjoy living there. Two of our children were born there. And uh, we've tried as much as possible um, to, to just adapt to life there. Um, I'll always have my American accent, I'm sure, but... Um, aside from that, we, we've tried to adapt, and um, we, live, we, we serve in a church that is known as Gossen Church in the town of Rhythlin. Gossen is the Welsh word for Goshen. Uh, Welsh chapels are usually named after places in the Bible, so uh, this was a Welsh-speaking chapel for years and years. It was built in the 1830s, and um, it, it's known historically as Gossen, it was known as Gossen Chapel, but uh, we uh, adapted the name and became Gossen Church some time ago. About 30 years ago, uh, a small group of believers combined the resources and bought the building from the denomination that owned it. The building was not in use, and they start, started an independent gospel preaching church there. And uh, it stands, as you can see, there's a bus stop right there in front of our building. We're on the high street. That's what they call the main street through town. This is a view from our building. Uh, we're across from the only gas station, what we would call a petrol garage, uh, in, in the village. And uh, you can see shops and houses along the high street. Uh, we're very thankful to be part of this church. Um, about seven years ago, the, the man who was leading that church, who had, who had actually helped to found that church, uh, was retiring. And they had about six members. And uh, we had been planning to plant a church in the area, but when this church invited us to come and help them, we decided it made more sense to do that. So that's what we've been doing since then. 
Um, I don't really openly refer to it as this, but it's essentially a church revitalization project right now. And we've seen the Lord uh, bless, um, and we've been encouraged by a lot of things that have happened over the last few years. Our girls, this is the first day of school last year. Uh, Margaret is in high school, which their high school begins there at uh, what we would think of as a sixth grade level. So she started high school in the town of Rill, which is right next to Ridlin. And the other girls are in uh, Ascola Castach, which is Welsh for castle school. Um, so we've, um, the school has become a, a key way that we have been connected to the community. And we try to, to look for a, any opportunity we can to, to minister there, um, including uh, introducing the school to different mission teams that have come through. So this is uh, the Jeremy Frazier evangelistic team. Some of you may know Jeremy or some of the team there. They came through about a year and a half ago um, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, and they put on a little concert at the school. Uh, you know, we're just, we're kind of out in the country, so uh, to hear a live performance of, of music like what they would do, you just wouldn't encounter that much, and they really enjoyed having them come. And then um, we had a Bob Jones University team come just a few weeks ago, just before we came to, back to the U.S., they are there in the school performing the book of Jonah and um, teaching the school, I think it was the Patch, Patch the Pirate song about how Jonah did not obey God immediately. Uh, they taught them the motions. And um, they're just kind of adding to what we're already trying to do in the school, which has a lot of facets. Um, I do lead a service in the school because Britain has religious education in the schools. Most people don't believe much of anything, but they still have religious education. And um, so about once a month, I lead a service and just teach really foundational truths. I'm not there to preach the gospel and give an invitation. You know, I'm there to just teach them very basic things like there is a God, that he made all of you, and your life has value and meaning because you're made in God's image, and he created you to know him, to love him, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And um, it's those kinds of themes that I really just try to to um, instill in them with the opportunity that I have. Uh, as a family, we're involved in the school. It's Marcia in the middle there, and uh, she's been quite involved in the PTA recently. Um, there's something called the school run. Some of you might be familiar. You have a school run, you do. Well, we have a school run, dropping the children off, picking them up after school. That's usually what Marcia's doing in the mornings and the afternoons, and uh, she rubs shoulders with a lot of different moms especially, and so she's with two good friends there, and they're just running the PTA coffee table, uh, raising money for the PTA, and she spent the day there um, just talking with parents and being part of what was going on at the school. And, you know, one thing we've had to learn, you know, in, in a secular culture like what we have in Wales and in, in the UK is that if your only contact with uh, the, the non-Christian public around you is, is to promote your church or to try to talk to them about your faith, um, that, that's, they really view that with suspicion. Um, and so our involvement in the school is one way that we, we show that you know, we care about that community. You know, we care about the things that are important to them. We, we want to serve in the school, whether, whether it's helping in a service or just volunteering as a parent helper on a class trip or helping in the PTA or, or something else. We, we want to show that we're not just there to try to recruit them for our church. We're there to, to just be among them and love them 
and be part of that community. So um, that's a huge part of what we do. We've had a number of encouragements. Uh, one was uh, this young woman, Bridget. She came a few years ago um, from London. She, her family's Nigerian, but she, she grew up in London. Her mother passed away just before she came to, to North Wales to do a three-year training course in the local hospital as an audiologist. And um, she came to us as a new Christian, and we were able to disciple her. We had the privilege of baptizing her. Um, just this past December, she finished her course, and she's gone back to London. But um, we were really encouraged during her time with us at what we were able to do uh, with her and see her grow in the Lord. Another man named Gwyn came to faith about three years ago from the community. Uh, he was, was recent, really, recent, really, recently retired, really no church background to speak of, no history of being in church, and God just started working in his life and uh, convicting him of sin. And he got an invitation uh, at his, uh, just through a leaflet at his door, um, and came to church and was, was saved. It was really not, nothing to do with what we did, uh, except you know, just giving leaflets out to, at houses in our village. And he's, he was baptized and has gone on for the Lord and is really a key member of our church now. We're very thankful for him. So we've had, I mentioned Bridget as a, as a student really coming to North Wales. We've had a lot of ministry recently with medical students. Uh, the medical students in the universities uh, occasionally couple times a year, starting from their third year, they are sent to hospitals to do six or eight week training modules. And um, when Christian students come to North Wales, sometimes they look up our church. A lot of them try to get home at the weekends, but the ones that maybe they live too far away or something, they've come to our church. So this really since December, we've had quite a few students through our church. Uh, We've got students there from Singapore, from from Nigeria, from Ghana, and from England. Um, so that's really been a privilege of ours to disciple them. And Marcia spent a lot of time with Anastasia, who comes from a Catholic home, uh, was, again, saved not long before she came to our church. And uh, really, we've had the privilege of discipling her and seeing her grow. And um, that's something that is not, um, doesn't result in long-term growth for our church, necessarily, but it's, it's a situation God's put us in where we're privileged to minister to these students that are away from home, away from student culture. They're in North Wales, so there's not much of a, there's not much of a nightlife or a city life to, to speak of, and um, a number of them have really gravitated to our church family, and um, it's been a privilege to, to, to minister to them in that way. New faces is what we pray for often. Uh, we've had uh, Nigerians move into the village, a uh, Nigerian doctor and his family. Um, another man there, he was in the previous photo as well. Uh, he's here for a year, possibly another year, uh, finishing up his pediatrics training. And um, Rithlin, the town is about 99% white. So it's one thing to preach about how the gospel moves us to welcome all kinds of people and be hospitable to people who are different from us. But most of the time, you don't have a lot of chance to really put that into practice, but to have these Nigerian believers come from a different culture, a different uh, church background, uh, and worship with us has been a real privilege, and um, I'm not sure exactly what all the Lord is doing with that, but um, we're thankful that they're there, and uh, we think they really do add something to our church. We're, we're glad to have them. 
And the Lord's brought along others as well. I mentioned, you know, when we came, there were about six members in our church. All, all of them were 65 and over. Uh, that, that's not all that unusual for Welsh churches. There's just a lot of churches like that, that they're just holding on, trying to keep the doors open, but aging. And um, so when the Lord brings along newer, younger, or young-ish people, um, that, that's a blessing to us. They're, they're the future of the church. So we're thankful that God brings them along. Um, new ventures. I want to tell you just about some things we've tried in recent uh, years. And I have the words underneath, fail fast. Uh, that, that's something of a philosophy we're trying to, to build into our mentality. And it basically is this. Not every ministry, I'm sure you experience this here, not every ministry is equally successful. You know, there are things that churches try and they don't necessarily work all that well. And so uh, in our situation, the culture has changed dramatically in the last 50 to 60 years. Churches that are, are really of a traditional background have struggled to adapt and um, reason through biblically how they ought to be trying to reach their communities when the communities have changed so much over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And so we're just trying to have the mentality that we're, we're looking for whatever we can to connect with our community and be a witness, but not everything's going to work equally well. So let's try things. If they don't work, fail fast. Learn from it. Try it for as long as it seems wise to try it, and then move on and try something else. So that's the mentality we're trying to have. And uh, that way, you know, you're not discouraged when, you know, sometimes you try things and you thought it was going to be a great idea, but it didn't work. Well, just just move on. You know, don't, don't try it for 25 years and just run it into the ground. Just learn from it. Adapt a new ministry from what, based on what you've learned in the past. And so that's what we've tried to do. So, you know, one thing we tried was a floral arranging evening. It was, it was mainly geared towards women. We have a woman in our church, Bev, who's a skilled florist. And she said, well, why don't we, why don't we just have a night where we invite friends to come and, and learn about arranging flowers uh, Marsha gave a gospel talk that evening, and so an, a few different unsaved ladies came. They enjoyed themselves, and uh, they heard the gospel, and that's something that, honestly, we probably should try it. We should probably do it again, um, because it, it was effective in uh, just finding common ground with unbelievers and, um, and connecting with them in that way and also giving them the gospel. This was another ministry we tried called Table Talk. We just thought, you know, we have a lot of foot traffic past our building. There's a bus stop there where people are coming and going. So we set up a gazebo tent and um, put out some literature, uh, put out a kettle of tea and uh, some biscuits and cakes and thought, you know, let's just try to engage with our community. And um, honestly, it, it wasn't all that effective. We, it was effective in providing a way to chat with people that we already knew. They would stop and talk, but... People we didn't know, they would just, I think they basically just saw a church, church people trying to talk to them, and they just quickly moved past, and it was clear they didn't really want to be stopped or, or, or talked to. So we did that for several, uh, one day a week for several weeks while the weather was nice, and um, learned all we can from it. And I think the next thing we're going to try is something similar, but we're going to do it in the community center, where it's a neutral venue, and there are other clubs, people meeting, coming and going, and um, we'd like to attempt that in that setting. 
and see if it, it provides a better opportunity to connect with people in the community. We did Christianity Explored, which is an evangelistic Bible study through the Gospel of Mark. So it's not, it's not high pressure. It runs over eight to ten weeks. It's more of a relaxed atmosphere. You see we've got mugs of tea and um, some, some cookies on the table. and it's, it's very much built around just forming relationships, um, explaining who Jesus is, why he came, and what he came to do, and uh, trying to field questions and promote discussion. So we did that in the community center where we felt like we could be a visible presence in the community. Uh, you know, sometimes we met and the, the town council was meeting in the room next door and hopefully they saw our sign, you know, Gosson Church is meeting here for Christianity Explored. And uh, we, were, we, were, we felt it was a very effective ministry on a number of levels. And, and we'll, Lord willing, we're going to be trying to do that about twice a year and intersperse that effort with other discipleship efforts that we're doing as well. So future goals, really, I've already mentioned a weekly coffee hour in the community center, uh, basically just trying to be where the people are um, and looking for ways to connect, form relationships, and be a witness. Uh, we really are burdened to increase our discipleship efforts. We're, we're realizing that uh, traditionally in Welsh evangelical culture, uh, the minister is really the focal point. Uh, the, the service and the sermon are really the focal point. And what that leads to often is are churches that really you have people that come, they hear the preaching, they have a friendly chat after the service, and they go home. And no one really knows how anyone else is doing except for maybe the pastor. And we're really trying to break away from that mindset and really increase discipleship reading scripture with people in the church. There's two men I'm meeting with. We've read through Colossians. Uh, we, we had to pause our Bible reading uh, while I'm, my, during the time I'm over here. And my, my goal is to get at least one of those men to start doing that with another man in the church. So it's not just me discipling people. The goal is to uh, disciple people who can then disciple other people. I know you're on board with that. That's really uh, our goal. So this is kind of an overlapping uh, goal, but growth in church family relationships, particularly as non-Christians come to faith, uh, you know they're, they're they're coming out of a unchurched background. Their their families think they've lost their minds. They they need more than just a couple of meetings to show up to. They need a family, and so we're trying to to really lead in um, uh, promoting and and facilitating growth in relationships so that we have a healthy church life that, that equips everyone for service, not just, not just me preaching, but everyone is working together for the sake of the gospel. That's our goal. So prayer requests, first of all, open doors for the gospel. Um, this is a challenging environment sometimes to, to, um, to get yourself into gospel conversations. We're finding we have to start way further back if you know what I mean. Uh, we're in a, a secular context where if you say something like, you know, if you die today, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven and that your sins are forgiven? And that's just, you know, I was brought up, that's how you start a, an evangelistic conversation. And I'm sure most of you have had the same experience here. Um, there are just a lot of people that now, that just, that doesn't, comp that doesn't compute at all. Um, you have to translate virtually every word of that before you, it's even making sense. So we're finding that we have to start a lot further back. Um, showing love to people, showing them what does it look like to be a Christian, having people in our home, 
things like that. Uh, so pray for open doors for the gospel. Pray for church unity, that um, this church that we are trying to lead in a, in a revitalization effort would really have a, a heart for reaching the community, not just keeping the doors open, not just maintaining services, but, but really laboring side by side for the sake of the gospel. And of course, that, that demands that we grow in love among ourselves, that we love one another so that we have flexibility with one another and are willing to open our lives to one another as we, as we help each other reach our community. And pray for strength to persevere joyfully. Um, it's, any ministry anywhere in the world is challenging. So we face challenges there. We face discouragement at times. Um, the, the gospel churches that are around North Wales tend to be spread out. So uh, we do have co-laborers. We do have friends in ministry. We don't get to see each other all that often because we're all kind of spread out. And, uh, of course, everyone's busy on the weekends. So um, we, we need God's help primarily to persevere joyfully in the ministry he's called us to. And we're so thankful that you're partnered with us. We really do covet your prayers we uh, appreciate your financial support of our ministry, and um, this is, these are some of the things that, that you can pray for for us. Uh, here at the end, I have just two different uh, videos I'm going to show you. They're each about two minutes long, and uh, you'll be hearing from a couple of people uh, in our church. So let me show you these um, before that. That's our prayer card, and uh, we have a couple stacks of those out in the foyer. So help yourself to however many you think you can use and uh, keep us in your prayers. So we have a couple testimonies here. Um, let me skip, um, we're gonna skip this one tonight um, and start with this one. My name is Anastasia Donia. My family and I live in a town called Wigan in the northwest of England. Uh, we're originally from Ghana in West Africa. We moved to the UK in 2004. So I studied medicine at Cardiff University. I'm just coming to the end of my third year. I was raised um, in a Catholic family. I also went to a Catholic school, so um, I grew up knowing of the existence of God. Uh, when I went to university, I decided to leave the Catholic Church. Um, I didn't attend any church. Uh, what seemed to me to be by chance, um, a lady that um, wasn't in the same year group as I, we met at a show. Um, she invited me to her church and I happened to say yes um, after avoiding churches for a full year. And I was just absolutely taken aback. Um, it was the first time people were asking me about my testimony. It was the only time I'd ever been asked how I came to be saved. And these words just meant nothing to me. Saved, testimony, I, I, I didn't know what that meant. Um, I continued going to this church and I decided to give my life to Jesus um, less than two weeks after starting this church. Um, I came to come to Gosson Church because when I came to North Wales placement um, in January, uh, there was a student in fifth year, so two years above me, who had been here before. And I really loved how intimate it was right from the very first sermon. Um, I just loved the church and I, I carried on going since then. How do I sum up what you guys have done for me? How is that even possible? Um, when I started coming to the prayer meetings and the word grace um, stood out to me um, and I think um, that was when it really hit on my heart that grace isn't something that I've earned. That was something that was something I believed as a Catholic all this all this time. It was a gossip that it really hit on my heart that 
God has given this to me because he loves me. Um, I've been doing Bible study with um, Steve's wife, Marsha. Um, we've been going through Discipleship Explored and that's been an extra level of encouragement for me this time around. So it's been incredibly amazing to just go through that with another woman and just have a space where we can talk about how God is working in our lives and encourage mm. one another as, as um, Paul is saying in the letter that he wants to be there to encourage them. So it's been amazing doing that. I was born in uh, Birmingham, it's sort of in the centre of the UK. I moved to Rill when I was eight, so I went to school in Rill. I got, God saved me in 1994, so then I started going to a church in Rill for about 10 years. Oh, yes. I was, so my friend Darren, he's been a Christian for about 15 years, Ooh. he knew I'd been struggling to find a church to attend, so he told me about Gosen, and I went one Sunday, and the f as soon as I was sat through the service, I knew what I'd, I'd found, the church that I'd been looking for. Welcoming, I really noticed how attentive they were and they came over to speak to me and made me feel welcome. Well, there's, you can describe the gospel as, in other ways, but Christ is my righteousness because then lots of other things shoot off from that. But as a nutshell, four words, mm -hmm. Christ is my righteousness. Yeah. And uh, so... So I just started to get that, that what people are doing is they're not thanking God that Jesus Christ is their righteousness and resting in that. Right. What they're doing is, right, I've read my Bible today, you know, I'm doing acts of service, I haven't sinned that badly. You know, it's, it's, it's a works righteousness still there. It's mm. like not full on, but it's the, it's the mindset. It's so hard to crack. It's incredibly difficult yeah. to crack. So... In my circles that I'd gone around for years, nobody really talked about Christ being in righteousness or the gospel. But you you have to hammer it home. You ha and what's great is you're gospel-centred and Gosen is gospel-centred. So you're always getting the gospel. And because I was looking for something, but I didn't know what I was looking for. It's the most gospel-centred church I've been to. All right, so that's a little bit about our ministry there. You got to meet Anastasia and Stephen, uh, the man you just heard from. He started coming uh, last year, and um, he had... Uh, started listening to preaching online and realized that he was in a, a church that he just shouldn't be in, but he didn't know where else to go. And uh, a friend of his uh, who knew of our church recommended he come to us. And the Lord's brought him into our fellowship and, and has really uh, just endeared him to the people in our church. So we have, uh, an I don't know if how unusual it is, I guess, but uh, we're trying to reach the, the area, the community particularly, with the gospel. Uh, the Lord's also 
seen fit to bring other people in that have come from other church backgrounds, some charismatic church background, some Anglican background, or um, something else where they just, maybe they knew the Lord but didn't really feel like they were getting what they needed, and the Lord's brought them to our church, and we're just, we're really, we're trying to stay focused on the gospel and um, help people to see that it's not what you do that earns God's favor, it, that God's favor comes as a gift, uh, that he loves people, and he will save anyone who comes to him. And that news is what we need every day. Once we come to faith, um, it's not confidence in our ability to persevere as Christians. It's not simply motivation to be the best Christians that we can be. It's the knowledge that God still deals with us graciously, that every day my standing before God depends entirely on his grace that he has shown to me in Christ, that I am in Christ. Whether I have a good day as a Christian or a bad day as a Christian, I am in Christ. And he, he loves me and accepts me in his son. And that's really what we try to unite around in our church and, and the message we try to pass on to others. I just want to ask you now to turn to the book of Philippians with the time that we have left. Uh, we will be here after the service and we'll hang around as long as there's someone here to talk to. So if you have questions, you want to know a little bit more about how you can pray for us or just simply what life is like in the UK or in, in North Wales, we're happy to, to hang around and, and speak after the service. But if you took a look at the book of Philippians, I think sometimes Philippians gets underrated as kind of maybe one of the lightweight epistles of the Apostle Paul. It doesn't have the, the doctrinal heft of Romans or, or Galatians or Colossians or Ephesians. And yet, uh, this, as any book of the Bible is, this is a powerful, powerful book. I, I really believe um, more, probably more than any other letter in the New Testament, this epistle from Paul explains why Paul was the way that he was. Just a man completely consumed with uh, serving Christ. That's not what I'm going to focus on tonight. But uh, I want you to begin in chapter 1 with me. Uh, you may know that the, the occasion for this letter was that Paul was writing from prison. He was writing to the Philippians to thank them for uh, their continual financial support of his ministry. So it really fits our context tonight very well. And if you uh, know much about the book of Acts, you'll know that in chapter 16 of that book, we, we learn about how the church in Philippi was started. It was the first, as far as we know, the first church in Europe. Paul came across to Macedonia, which is in what we would think of as, as the country of Greece today, and this church was started from a, the conversion of a businesswoman named Lydia, a formerly demon-possessed slave girl whose name we don't know, and a Philippian jailkeeper. That was the beginning of that church. And Paul uh, writes to them, and in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all 
in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And uh, that word participation there is a word that's, um, in other translations, translated fellowship. Or you could even use the word partnership. When he speaks of their participation, he's talking about their mutual participation with him in the gospel. And so the letter begins with this note of thanksgiving for their partnership, their fellowship in the gospel with him from the first day until now. He has in view uh, from the first time he knew them as, as new Christians. If you know the story in Acts 16, near the end of that story about the starting of this church, Lydia says, you know, in, in, in my own words I'm putting this, please use my house. Please come into my home and, and use my home as a, as a base for gospel effort. So Paul is saying, you know, from the very first, we have been partners in the gospel. And a partnership in the gospel is something that should be a, an everyday thing in New Testament churches. Gospel-believing, gospel-preaching churches should be all about gospel partnership. In a a sense, that's what a church is. It's a body of believers that are committed to one another for the advance of the gospel um, in their own lives and in the lives of others. And and that kind of relationship should be marked by, by deep affection for one another. That's how Paul speaks of them in verse 8. Uh, In verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I'm not sure I would ever even dare to speak like that about my own love for my fellow believers. But Paul here uses some of the most pointed and... um, and, and clear language you have in all the New Testament about his affection. You, you won't find a stronger expression of affection in all the Bible, really, of, from one Christian to another. He says, I, I long for you with the affection of Christ. I have a heart for you like Christ has for you. That's, that's his view of these people. And, and that, that should be true of our, of our gospel partnerships. That's, that's challenging, uh, in, in, a, in a relationship like we have, because I live on another continent. I live uh, five time zones away. I, uh, our family visits here. It's been six years since we've been here, actually. Um, so uh, on a down-to-earth sort of way, it's hard to have that kind of affection like Paul's talking about. But we ought to, we ought to have a warm view towards those with whom we are gospel partnered. And we, we do feel that way to a certain extent about our supporting churches. You know, I, I could only name a few people in the room tonight. There's not many of you I know very personally, but we're, we're thankful for Grace Church of Mentor. We know that, that our ministry matters to you, and your ministry matters to us. And so we're thankful that we have this gospel partnership. And throughout this chapter, we learn things about gospel partnership. Um, one thing we learn is that gospel partnerships are characterized by gospel priorities. Now, 
That ought to be obvious, right? <laughs> we partner together for the gospel. And so what we care most is, is the advance of the gospel. That's what we care about most. And, and Paul knows that that's how they think about him. In verse 12, you keep in mind, Paul is writing from... He says, verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Okay, Paul is unjustly imprisoned. He, he doesn't completely know whether he's even going to survive this ordeal. And yet he, what, what he wants to talk about is the fact that his imprisonment has actually resulted in gospel advance. And he knows that's what they want to hear about as well. And he goes on to explain the different ways that his imprisonment has resulted in the progress of the gospel. Um, one way is that um, Rome, the, the whole Praetorian Guard, that's a, that's a word for the, the, the Roman uh, collection of soldiers that were there to, to guard him, uh, that the gospels become known because they know he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. Another way that his imprisonment has resulted in gospel advance is that other people have been motivated to preach the gospel. In fact, Paul, Paul explains here that some of the people preaching the gospel, uh, they've been emboldened to do so by his imprisonment, and actually they're preaching it with mixed motives. Perhaps they viewed Paul as a rival, and they see his imprisonment as their opportunity to advance their own platform, to raise their own status as gospel preachers. And Paul actually says in verse 18, after explaining some of this, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, okay, regardless of the motive, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul's not seeking to excuse or, or justify what some of these preachers were doing, preaching with mixed motives, but he says, you know, even regardless of the way they're doing it, I rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed. That is one way in which you test yourself as to whether or not the gospel is really the priority. Um, Paul further, he goes on to explain that whether he lives or dies, his desire is to glorify Christ. He says this in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Earlier, he explains in verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's chief concern is that Christ be exalted whether he lives or dies. These are what gospel priorities look like. That's a hard thing to say, whether I live or die, my, my chief desire is that Christ is exalted. And yet, knowing the great grace of God towards us, his continuing love towards us, uh, the fact that, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, those kinds of truths ought to move us to that kind of priority. On the other hand, sometimes it might be easy to say whether I live or die. What's harder to say is 
whether I suffer inconvenience or not, I want Christ to be exalted. Whether I get my way on this particular day or not, I want Christ to be exalted. Whether I get that promotion or not, I want Christ to be exalted. Whether I have my weekend free as I planned, or whether I have to spend it serving or ministering to someone in need, I want Christ to be exalted. Sometimes it's easy to to make the grand declaration because it's hard to even envision a situation where I would have to choose life or death for the sake of the gospel. But before we ever face that, we have to die a thousand deaths, don't we? We have to die daily. Every day we find out really whether we have gospel priorities. But to have gospel priorities means you put the exaltation of Christ above everything else. Finally, uh, Paul nears the end of this chapter, and he has one thing on his heart for them. In gospel partnerships, we exhort and encourage one another towards unified effort for the sake of the gospel. And this is what he says in verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And here's what that will look like. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, I, I want to hear about your efforts. I, he- I want your church to be the kind of church that when I hear about you, what I hear is that this is a body of people who work together. They are of one mind. They're of one spirit. They are working hard together for the advance of the gospel. That's what gospel partnerships look like. We, we want to see one another working hard in this way. And we recognize that we are all in the same struggle. You see this in verse 30? He says, you are experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. He recognizes that in verse 29, well, he wants them to see that it's been granted to them for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. He's saying, you know, I'm writing to you from prison, but you need to know, it's not just me. It's not just me that, it's not just I that's going to suffer for the gospel. You're called to suffer for the gospel. We're in the same conflict. Paul says, I might be in prison right now, but don't think that this this isn't your fight as well. (laughs) We're in the same conflict. That's true of us. You know, I'm over there in North Wales, You're here in northeastern Ohio. Uh, Our contexts are very different. Uh, Our challenges in some ways are slightly different, although ministry does tend to be similar wherever you go. We're in the same conflict. We serve the same Christ. We're going to enjoy the same victory. And uh, it's a privilege that we can be partnered together. We're, we're thrilled that when we hear about Grace Church of Mentor, what we hear is that you're a church working hard for gospel advance. Uh, we, we came up and we saw the tents outside, and at first we were afraid that we were going to have an outdoor service. Um, <laughs> but then we realized, I, I would have guessed these tents are set up for, for gospel work. You're, they've been, 
don't know if it was the soccer camps or, or some other camp that you've had recently that, that you're using that for. I don't know, but I assume uh, that that's what it's for. And, and when we hear about Grace Church of Mentor, we hear about a church that is uh, ramped up to, to be involved in evangelism and uh, is, is concerned about discipleship, and that's our heart as well. So it's a thrill to, to see you all face-to-face and um, refresh our partnership in the gospel. So thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. It's a joy to be with you.